Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, November 22nd. The Manning report on the Alberta government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic was supposed to be nonpartisan, but an email from Preston Manning suggests that was not the case. We get a reaction to the report from Calgary Skyview MP George Chahal, who personally received an insider email on the topic by mistake. Next, according to data from the Public Health Agency of Canada, 21 people on average will die from opioid overdoses every single day in our country. We hear details on a new non-opioid, non-addictive painkiller made right here in Calgary could help solve the deadly opioid crisis. And finally, NASA has successfully collected samples from an asteroid and it could reveal information about the origins of the universe. Our Mornings with Sue and Andy producer Reese Schaefer spoke with one of the lead researchers on the project and he brings us the out-of-this-world findings. Preston Manning was commissioned by the UCP government to investigate the province's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, last week, Manning released the findings of what was supposed to be a nonpartisan report. However, new information is coming to light now, questioning the motives behind the report. Joining us to talk about it is Calgary Skyview MP, George Chahal. Good morning, George. Good morning, Sue. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. It was uh, pretty interesting on Monday when you posted on X or Twitter that you had mistakenly received a rather candid email from Preston Manning about this response, about this report. Tell us a little bit about exactly what was in that email that you got. Well, first of all, I was really surprised to see that I was on uh, the conservative email uh, distribution list, uh, the contents were quite revealing. So I, um, you know, went through it closely and uh, put it out because I, uh, I know Mr. Manning believes in accountability and transparency. Uh, it really shows that the federal and provincial conservative parties are clearly working together to coordinate their efforts. Um, Premier Smith has made it clear that she's works for the two groups, her take back Alberta conspiracy base and her conservative cronies like Mr. Preston Manning. And I wanted to ensure um, that this got out because there needs to be greater transparency on how our provincial conservatives are using our tax dollars to develop their political strategies for their federal counterparts. Um, we've seen uh, $2 million uh, spent also on a misinformation campaign here in Ottawa with a, a bus driving around. Uh, with misinformation on electricity regulations. We've also seen millions of dollars being spent on um, the Canada Pension Plan panel, uh, the CPP panel to remove Alberta from the pension plan. I'm really concerned that our Alberta government is spending taxpayers' dollars uh, for political gain and for partisanship. And I wanted to make sure that Albertans... Uh, got to see what was really happening on hand with an email that was uh, sent to me. Well, before we get into to some of the details within the email, some of the verbiage within that email as well, let's talk about the protocols in place because, yeah, as an MP, uh, Mr. Chahal, uh, I'm assuming that this is something that you take quite seriously within your, you know, party and with your constituents. Uh, constituents. So can you talk about some of the protocols that are in place to protect something like this from happening? Well, I mean, the I think you're referring to me being put on the distribution list. Yes. Um, uh, it's you know it's important to that that I've uh, been able to provide this and the protocols in place that I've provided uh, information that was sent out. So um, 
Mr. Manning clearly uh, did work on behalf of the government and put based out a, a report, um, but the real intentions of the report were for partisanship. So uh, for myself, I advocate for my um, constituents as I do. Those emails were sent to parliamentarians um, and, and were not personal emails. And so, you know, for me, it was important to make sure that the public knows uh, what was happening here. You know, and the fact that uh, Preston Manning was paid a quarter million dollars as well to, to put this report together, I think more than anything, it's the fact that it was supposed to be nonpartisan. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody believed it was going to be 100% that way, but it just seems to be so overly, that, you know, over the top that it's not. That Should that be concerning to us in terms of what we as taxpayers and, and whatever party was in charge of doing this, I think that's almost irrelevant that right now we need to focus on the fact that we shouldn't be paying for things like this, whatever government is in power if you're supposed to put together a nonpartisan report it should be that yes and you know for me what i like i believe what we went through a difficult time through covid i represent uh, northeast calgary which we had high rates of covid and high rates of vaccination as well my constituents worked on the front lines from deliveries driving public transit every single day and we want to make sure that any future decisions are made are the best interests of our people, not for political gain. That the decisions that are made by public health officials um, are for following the data and the science, but not politics. And to, to bring forward a panel to reinforce that politicians should be deciding on the best course is quite concerning. Um, and, and this is, you know, uh, for me, I got a COVID shot, uh, my booster last night, and a flu shot. I think it's important because I wanted to, to do so for the health and safety of myself. But all those others who want to do so who have um, health issues and concerns, we want to have a strong public health care system. And we want to make sure that the experts involved to help us make those decisions are there to make those decisions. This was, and it, you can look it up, a $2 million report. And uh, reportedly uh, paying uh, Preston Manning uh, around two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred fifty-three thousand, uh, to be precise, by the Alberta government. What are your thoughts on whether or not this report should have ever come to fruition? Should this report have ever been done, or should it have been done differently, Mr. Chahal? Well, I'm not. You know, the, the provincial government made a decision. Um, I'm not sure why they brought the report forward. Um, I think the focus should be on how do we improve our healthcare system for Albertans. So if we ever have uh, another, um, and I hope we never do, if we ever have any a major healthcare crisis uh, in the province, that we're ready to deal with it, ready to support uh, folks in our communities, and to make sure we learn from um, the previous challenges we may have faced. But this report is clear: it was not to improve the healthcare system. It was to uh, provide a political partisan advantage uh, for the current provincial government and support their conservative colleagues. Uh, Mr. Manning sent those emails to parliamentary emails to CPC members, and I was also included on that distribution list. And for, this is quite concerning that they're using provincial government funds to advance issues for their provincial partisan purposes but also federal conservative partisan purposes george thank you so much for coming on with us appreciate you taking the time
thank you for having me and i hope uh, the weather's nice and stay warm and have a great day. Th- thanks, you too. George Chahal is a member of parliament for Calgary Skyview. And uh, as Mike said, I can only imagine some of the texts you're getting with this interview. Lots but of texts. George Chahal is the one who received that that um, you know email that, that kind of broke this thing into the public. So that's why we're talking to him. And we get it. You don't like the Liberals so much in this province. And that's and, fine. And this yeah, you have an opinion. You text us, you're texting And we get it, totally. You're but, welcome to your opinion. And, but we put people on the air, whether you agree or like with like them, as well as whether you, you know, do or don't. Is whether what I'm you and at. I just... It's like, just, we're talking about the topics of the day, and that happens to be one of them. So, yeah, you cannot like the Liberals, and that's A-OK. But what he did, did just say about we should be concerned that the government is wasting this much money mm-hmm. to do a taxpayer-funded, uh, you know, nonpartisan report this far after the game is, you know, pretty much over, what's the point? That's yeah, what no. we should be questioning. Yeah, no, I, I think that in the end, like, yeah, if you have if you have opinions, we, we very much appreciate it. Text line always open at 403-974-8255. But it just so happened that the email uh, went into the wrong box that happened to be MP George Chahal. <laughs> it just so happens that he's a liberal MP. That is Oops. why we're having George Chahal on the program. Yeah. You understand? To hear his experience, to get his thoughts, to find out how something like this happens and where we go from here. This is an issue in the sense that it happens it's to all of us. a waste of our money. This is, But this also does happen to all of us, but this is in the public realm mm-hmm. because we're talking about politics. Uh, I don't so, think anybody really cares about the report itself. That's what I'm getting. Right? Like, it was so, it's so past when we would have cared to have any, you know, results. But it was, it's also so skewed, and I don't think it's terribly surprising that it is. It's that we're paying for it, and why now? Yeah, well, and, and we get this text in that says, you guys really think this was sent out by mistake? Bah ha ha. Well, I do think it's by mistake because mm-hmm. this is a bad look. Yeah. For not only, part of the... not only Preston Manning, yep. whose, you know, reputation could be sullied, but also to the uh, UCP party. This is a bad look. Mm-hmm. So you think that this was, I mean, uh, George Chahal, Chahal is not bringing anything out by mistake. This is something that he has brought to the attention of any Albertan who will listen. Yeah. So um, I don't understand where you're going with that. Adam saying, I'm sure you're getting lots of flack for the interview, but for this listener, I want to say thank you. It's nice to have some people on the radio bringing a balanced perspective. Thank you very much, Adam. Appreciate it. That's all we're trying to do. Absolutely. Calgary researcher has won the prestigious MyTax Award for his innovative work in developing a non-opioid, non-addictive pain medication. Joining us to discuss his research and the impact it could have to address the opioid epidemic is Dr. Ketel Patel, postdoctoral researcher at the University of Calgary. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. Can you give us the, the, the brief notes of your research and, and what makes this non-opioid pain medication a, a breakthrough? Yeah, so our research uh, focusing on discovery of new medicine for chronic pain, which is a major problem globally. And still the frontline treatments are opioids, but uh, they are extremely addictive and have serious side effects. Like they create more problems than what they solve. Like in fact, in Canada, on an average, 21 people die from opioid overdose. And that is a serious healthcare challenge. So our mission is to create safer, more effective non-opioid treatments for uh, chronic pain. And that's how to reduce the use of opioids and improve the quality of the life of those who are suffering from pain. Doctor, we obviously can't go back on what has happened already, but boy, moving forward, talk to us a bit about the potential of this new drug. It can be and could be life-changing for so many. Yeah. 
Tell us a little bit about the potential. What do you expect? I mean, yeah. is, do you think this can take over from, from the current opioids that we have right now on the market? So, yeah, so this is like, uh, that's right now, that's what uh, opioids, they are like a very extremely addictive and it has like, a, it created a opioid crisis uh, right now. So there is always need of alternative medications. So this journey started from uh, like, I work uh, in collaborative with uh, Professor Darren Duxon Lab at the University of Calgary and uh, Calgary-based uh, Zymidine Therapeutics. So this journey started from our collaborator, Professor Gerald Champonis, who is a UFC professor and also chief scientific officer of uh, Zymidine Therapeutics. So they created a non-opioid uh, pain receptor. And uh, I am a chemist, so we developed these uh, new molecules and we believe that anyone we did not observe any drug dependency and drug tolerance so this could be uh, this is like a significant achievement and uh, this could be an alternative pathway for this opioid crisis I, I want to break that down a little deeper dr patel in the sense that opioids were touted as being non-addictive when they first hit the market so so exactly how do we know what what makes it different if you can break that addictive property down for us and how how you remove that from a drug like this that'd be great yeah, so like uh, our uh, like uh, what we are developing, this is uh, like particularly has uh, like a non-opioid receptor sense. Uh, yeah, even like it did not, or we did not observe any drug dependency or, or opioid crisis because like uh, as of now, like those who are suffering from chronic pain, so they need to have like uh, opioid drugs and on the. Uh, alt on this uh, use of these opioid drugs, it's like uh, uh, it has like various uh, withdrawal symptoms. So that's what like our goal, like uh, we uh, with our drugs, that this uh, withdrawal symptom should not come and there should not be any drug dependency and drug tolerance. Doctor, what about the timeline for clinical trials and then getting this out on the market? How fast can that happen? Yeah, so, yeah, so definitely our goal is to push uh, these drugs to clinical trial and uh, for that, like, it requires a lot of resources and takes uh, several million dollars. So that's what Zymidine's uh, goal is to get a partnership and investment from the big pharma so that uh, we can achieve this goal uh, collaborative in next few years. How how do we compare, uh, Dr. Patel, to other nations doing research on, on drugs like this? Are, are we a leader? Are we middle of the pack? How would you say we stack up? So uh, definitely there are a lot of other research groups also doing this research, but like uh, the, uh, the pathway what we discovered, like Zymitan discovers that's a unique pathway and that is how like we differ from the other nations. Doctor, we appreciate your time. Congratulations again on winning that prestigious MyTax Award. Uh, this could be life-altering for so many people. Thank you so much for joining Thank us this morning. Thank you very much, Sandy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Katel Patel, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Calgary. He is our Mornings with Sue and Andy producer, Reese Schaefer. He's also a geek when it oh, comes yeah. to all things outer space. I'm either geeking out about space or AI or something. And when I saw this article on the conversation, I just kind of got a little bit giddy. And I started thinking about Bruce Willis and Armageddon because NASA is sending out... Um, 
unmanned crafts now yeah, to yeah. get samples mm. of asteroids and is kind of helping us learn more about the origins of the universe and the origins of Earth. So I had a chance to sit down with Naraja Shinshikar, PhD student in planetary science and earth science and exploration at Western University who kind of laid out the science and the impact of these samples and how they could transform our knowledge of the universe. So the OSIRIS-REx mission was a NASA mission that I think began, uh, it was launched in 2016 uh, by a spacecraft which uh, journeyed to this asteroid called as Bennu over about a period of two years. Um, and when it reached the asteroid, it grabbed samples from the surface of the asteroid, and then it traveled back to Earth, which took a little over two years. And just in September of this year, 2023, uh, the space shuttle came back to Earth, dropped off a capsule containing the samples from the asteroid. What factors led to Bennu to be selected as the asteroid for this mission? What makes it strategically important? So there are several... I would say several thousands of asteroids in our solar system itself, right? But when you want to send a planetary mission, it costs a lot of money. Um, It's not a lot federally, but if you look at it, it's still a big number. So you want to make sure that the object that you're selecting is within your reach, meaning if you have a timeline for a mission, you want to make sure that... You know, you have the time to get there, plus you have the money to get there. So that narrows down a lot of objects in our solar system because there are only so many places that you can get to within a certain timeline and a certain budget. What makes Bennu so interesting is that it has been studied from Earth observations using telescopes and other technology for a very long time. So we know some things about it already. So it's, it wouldn't be a surprise to, you know, send something to a place where you have a lot of observations about. Um, the other thing about this asteroid was also that it's a carbonaceous asteroid, meaning it's uh, rich in carbon. So if we want to bring samples back from a planetary body, one of the things um, that we're interested in exploring as a scientific community is um What can these materials tell us about our solar system or even about our Earth? Because a lot of rocks or samples here on Earth have been changed since they formed. But if you look at objects outside the Earth, they have undergone very little uh, deformation or changes since the time they formed. So we're really looking at very, very old materials that have been preserved in the condition that they formed in. So what will we learn about the formation of our solar system, formation of life on Earth? I mean, these asteroids, like you're saying, have been unchanged. The particles, the material has been unchanged since basically the creation of the universe. So what can we learn from this? Right. So um, life on Earth has existed for a very long time. We don't really know how this life came to be on Earth. There are a lot of speculations and hypotheses, but... um, Like I said, a lot of the material that existed at that time has changed on Earth. So if we look at materials that are rich in carbon that existed when the solar system was forming, that might inform us about how life came to be on Earth. Did it come through such carbonaceous asteroids colliding with Earth or Mm -hmm. was there something else? Beyond these, like the scientific discoveries, how does space exploration, particularly missions like OSIRIS-REx, how does it impact society and technology here at home? 
Uh, that's a really good question. I'm so glad you asked that because a lot of time uh, we think that this is all outside the earth and why do we really care about these missions? Why would we want to spend so much money on things that are not even on earth, right? But if you look at the history of solar, if uh, you look at the history of space exploration, really uh, the technology that we have to develop to send a mission outside of earth is really incredible. And it has been shown that this technology at some point becomes useful to us on Earth. Things like satellite or even if we're like monitoring ecosystems here on Earth or different types of landforms or if we are um, using technology for security of you know, our countries, all of this is developed as a result of space exploration. So you never know um, where this technology will be used on Earth because uh, it's very innovative and it really pushes our understanding of uh, technology and our own knowledge. So we can really use this. You know, I love space. And I think a lot of people love space. There's a lot more interest in going out into the stars. Now you have Elon Musk with SpaceX. You have the new NASA mission heading to the moon. It's kind of a new golden era for space exploration. So looking ahead, what do you see as the next big milestones or potential challenges in the field of planetary exploration? Um, so I think for me personally, the most exciting thing I think is the Artemis mission that NASA has coming up because after almost three decades, we're sending uh, missions back to the moon and we have so much technological advancement now. And challenges, there are still a lot of uh, challenges in space exploration. I think funding is a big issue, uh, especially now because we have so many missions. We really need to prioritize where we want to go and use the funding. How do you think this new golden era, this second space race, is going to influence young people that are watching on TV? Do you think that there's going to be more interest in heading to the stars in planetary exploration and the STEM fields? So I really think that um, this is the second space age happening now. And I think a lot of people, kids especially, would be excited about space. And I think we really need that in space exploration. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. That was Neeraja Shinshikar, PhD student in Earth and Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University.